Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now, here's your host, Jeff Concepcion. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion, and welcome to the Evolving Advisor podcast. I'm very, very pleased today to have Jerry Quinn. Uh, Jerry is a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve. He's also the chief operating officer of the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association, our nation's longest standing military financial services not-for-profit organization. Jerry will have the ability today to elaborate on compensation structures throughout the military, healthcare benefits, pensions for veterans, and why it's important for us as financial advisors to understand the factors that affect veterans who've served our country and, and what financial planning implications might exist as a result. He can also share tips for working with veterans and military spouses at all ages, from those who's recently transitioned out of the military and are seeking employment to older veterans who might be looking to do a better job of managing their retirement payments. Uh, so Jerry, with that, thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for your service. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's sure a pleasure to be here and get to know Stratus Wealth Network and all that you guys are doing there to help uh, Americans succeed financially. That's awesome. I think you've done a lot more to help Americans succeed than, uh, than, than people, <laughs> but we'll take that. We'll take it. And thank you. Um, so what was, uh, first and foremost, uh, what was it like uh, having an opportunity to serve our country? I have very, very few regrets in my, in, in my life. I'd say one of my regrets is that I did not have an opportunity to participate in the service. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, my opportunity came to me like so many others do. Uh, I grew up in a family of 13 kids and there wasn't a college fund at the end of high school. I was not a straight A student, so I didn't have a lot of uh, colleges banging down my door to bring me bring me there. So in order to go to college, I needed to to source source my way through and, and uh, Uncle Sam had a, a path to that through the GI Bill. And so that looked pretty attractive to me. Off I went to, I just was going to enlist four years, get the GI Bill and, and be done with it. And here I am 35 years later, Jeff, still serving in the United States Army Reserve. It's an honor to get to do it. Um, and, you know, it's a hard thing to stop. Uh, the brotherhood and the, the camaraderie that we that we share, the the purpose for what we for what we do and, and why we're ready to pick up our rucksack and rifle when the nation calls is something um, I'm going to have a hard time leaving uh, I've still got a few few years left in me, though. Well, I have to say that we would not be blessed to live the privileged life that we lead without people serving. So thank you again for, for what you've done and and to thank all you your so brothers much. and sisters in arms. So yeah. Um, so tell me what uh, what sort of drew you to uh, the organization you're with today with with today, American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association. And tell us a little bit about what they do. Yeah, the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association was founded in 1879. It was uh, actually founded through the War Department, through a pen, uh, which is now the Pentagon or, or the Department of Defense. So we were an organization founded out of uh, the need to protect military families who serve. Um, you know, it was the Civil War era. There were many things going on in the country. And, and before AFMA, before our organization existed, uh, the custom was that 
officers would pass the hat to support those that fell during battle and the families would receive that those funds to carry on after their loved one passed during uh, service to their country. AFMA was formed. Um, we provide life insurance and other benefits. And those other benefits include um, unique survivor services for families of the fallen. Um, and, and so between life insurance and our unique uh, exclusive survivor services, we serve the needs of the military family, veterans, retirees, reservists, National Guard, and we protect them with life insurance in a nonprofit. We're able to approach this this audience uh, with our nonprofit pricing. So we get some of the best pricing out there on life insurance products, and we have uh, what I consider a market leading crediting rate, and it's exclusive for military members, those who have earned the right to have this kind of pricing. Yeah, so you know, you see so much stuff in the media, and it's extraordinarily disheartening to think that we have the privileges that we do as a result of people who serve, and sometimes how difficult it is for people in a number of ways when they transition out of the military into civilian life, whether that's employment or whether that's um, physical health-related issues or mental health-related issues that might be attributable to uh, to their service or to some of the stress associated with service. Um, so, does the organization provide any? resources sort of beyond the financial or economic that would tie into counseling or sort of transitional services, how to leave one path of life and move to a civilian lifestyle or? Yeah, so in some ways we do, but not not directly. We really are, you know, primarily focused as a, a life insurance company. We have a couple of subsidiaries that provide home mortgages designed for military families and veteran families. And we have a wealth arm, AFMA Wealth Management and Trust Company that provides uh, wealth advising and, and trust services, again, for this unique uh, audience that uh, have served in uniform before. That is uh, who our membership has to target because of the, our unique charter uh, created in 1879. Uh, to address these unique conditions that military members and, and veterans have, especially the transition stage for a military member, uh, most military members, believe it or not, despite what we read in the news, most military members transition very successfully. In fact, we know we know for a fact that so many transition so successfully that generally speaking, a veteran earns more than their civilian counterpart um, after service. They generally own their home more frequently than their civilian counterpart. So generally speaking, the majority transition very successfully and it's uh, due to a number of factors that we could go into if you want to. But there is this population that do have a challenge uh, transitioning. Um, some of the causes are, you know, military families have moved around. And so the spouse has taken, made some sacrifices with their career as they've moved around from station to station and maybe has not been in the, in the uh, employment market for years. So the spouse is probably entering the employment market at a lower grade than they would have had they stayed in their hometown of Houston, Texas or whatever, and, and built a career for 20 years. Yeah, that, uh, makes, sec that makes sense. Sec yeah. Secondly, the service member themselves sometimes has not properly prepared themselves for their transition. So we have decked, we are part of an ecosystem, a number of nonprofit organizations that serve military and veteran needs. And so our ecosystem, our, our, the, number of organizations that we partner with to ensure that our 
our members uh, do have access and, and are aware of these organizations that specifically help tailor resumes and uh, align you know, interviews for transitioning veterans. Those are other organizations that do that, but we're, we're a proud member of that ecosystem to help service members transition. So we connect them to those resources and we provide financial education especially around things like, you know, do your budgeting and be sure you're ready for the transition and what, what happens to your pay and your vacation time and, um, and how do you manage your pension and that kind of thing. Yeah, so as far as the addressable market is concerned, I'm sure we have many, many advisors in our firm across the country in various cities, whether or not there's a military presence or a military base there specifically. And then, you know, obviously lots of people in the industry who have folks that have served previously. What's the addressable market? Do you have any idea approximately what the number of bodies are of folks that are active duty or retired military veterans? Yes, we know We know very precisely, in fact, uh, the Department of Defense knows exactly how many people are on active duty, reserve, and National Guard at any given time. And then the Veterans Administration has done uh, very good work in identifying where our veterans live across the nation. Both of those are open source public information, and you know it, it takes a little bit of time to study that. But uh, the addressable market of active duty veterans retirees is about 23 million total. Um, 2.5 million are serving in uniform at any given time. That includes active duty, National Guard, and Reserve. And then we have 18 million veterans uh, in the country. And like I say, most of them. Uh, statistically speaking, veterans are, are earning a higher wage, a high, higher salaries and, and own their homes more frequently than those that have not served. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you, you indicated they start out at a slight deficit because they might be getting into the civilian workforce, but they seem with their probably, I suspect, skill set slash discipline slash whatever to be able to kind of catch up and then bridge that gap and end up actually further ahead over time, which is pretty interesting. Right. And, and like I say, there is a small segment of veterans that, that just don't transition well. So we deck a number of resources to ensure that those veterans have every opportunity so, to succeed. But by and large, most veterans transition very successfully into their next career or, you know, uh, like, like I hope to do one day, successfully into retirement where, uh, where I, I'm able to manage my pension well and it's able to provide for me and, and my heirs uh, in the future. So if I'm, if I'm a financial advisor serving veterans or I am interested in serving veterans, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? How long do most people who serve stay in? What do the general benefits look like? So for example, if I enlist when I'm young and I spend, and I have a couple of tools, I've got eight years or 10 years, um, when do I start to receive benefits? What does that typically look like? And I realize that there's a spread there depending on probably the level of education I had before I enlisted and the rank that I exited at and, and so on. But can you kind of give us just a sort of overarching framework of what that could look like, the spectrum? Yeah, that, it's a really broad question. So I'm going to try to knock it down into two or three uh, digestible buckets for now. Um, about 18%, let's see, is that, I, well, I have to go back and check that, verify that number. A, a very small number overall actually retire from military service, 20, 20 years of active federal service or in the reserves, we call it 20 um, good years. Uh, there's a, a point system when you're in the reserves, but 20 years of active federal service is, is a full regular uh, retirement, which provides a lifetime defined benefit 
for those people. And it's a it's a protected defined benefit um, in that it it receives COLA increases. So the majority of members of uh, service members that serve do not actually get full 20 year retirement. Uh, those members uh, in the the Department of Defense recently restructured their their retirement um, plan. And for those in my generation, I have what's called the legacy retirement plan, what the one that I just described. But for the new members coming in, and this was just enacted in the past few years and, and is being phased in, but all new service members that are just now joining today will have access to the blended retirement system. The blended retirement system acts a lot like the thrift savings plan or in some ways like a corporate 401k and is portable and can be taken with the service member. So for my son who is currently serving in the Marines and will have served for four years, he's gonna have at least something to leave after four years, he'll leave the Marines with you know, the, the start of his nest egg for retirement because he invested in the blended retirement system. That was the only plan he was eligible for um, because of because he came in at this time. The legacy retirement system are who, you, who most of your folks, uh, most of your advisors are gonna be talking to. And that is a, it's, it's a, a great retirement uh, system for those military members who have retired. Um, and, and so you should, your advisor really needs to get to the bottom of what this service member's nature of service was, meaning did they leave before 20 years? That would be an indicator that they may not have a retirement. Now let me now let me create a different a different bucket. So I talked about retirees. I talked about those who did not retire, and specifically about the newest generation. But the third bucket or the third group is is this group of service members, those that that we all hold in in very high regard that may have been retired from the military due to injuries sustained in the military. Those folks will uh, er, have earned uh, a pension um, in a number of different different ways and and different structures, but basically is a pension to um, to assist them because of their service-connected disabilities. So provided through the Veterans Administration, sometimes through the Department of uh, of Defense, but oftentimes through the Veterans Administration, and that pension also is a defined pension plan, depending on the nature and the severity of their injuries. And they will receive that um, until, they're, until they pass. Uh, and again, it is COLA protected. So it's a defined benefit that um, you know, protects them from inflation. So those are three very general buckets. The most important thing I, I think I want you to know and, and for your advisors to take away is that it's really under it's really important to understand the nature of their military member or veteran service so that they understand if there's a, a defined pension and who that defined pension is coming from. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. So if if again an advisor is interested in working with um, folks who've served in the military, what's the best way do you think to sort of market to that? Group and I realize that firms like yours provide varying degrees, and maybe you can even talk about that of wealth management services. Um, I assume that RIAs and other broker dealers and financial services companies also work with many veterans. Are is there a way that they do they work typically through bases, or are there ways to advertise or market, or what what advice would you give to someone who sees this as a marketplace where there could be opportunity 
is how they might develop some type of a niche to un better understand benefits, number one, and then number two, how to access more prospective clients in that market. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a interesting question, a hard one to answer. Here's here's the reality of it, Jeff. Uh, too, too many times financial services firms have preyed upon um, uh, military members. And so there's been a lot of regulation that's written so that um, not just anyone can market on installation, what we call on installation, on a, on a federal installation. Uh, but all of us have the opportunity to market genuinely to our communities and our military and veterans live in our communities. I would say the most important thing uh, and, and insights, marketing insights prove this to be true is an organization that's been there for military members for a long period of time are organizations that often gain the trust of military members. They, they have an affinity towards organizations that have been there for the military in the long haul. So that's, that's one thing that people can do is, is stay true to that segment uh, for a long period of time. Another thing is understanding the jargon and understanding the military, uh, the military culture and being able to convey that you understand that military culture. Um, you might not recognize it, but I recognize it as a veteran um, looking out when I see somebody advertising to me, a veteran or a military member, um, I can tell pretty quickly in their advertisement if they really genuinely know who I am or if it's just, you know, maybe a, a marketing campaign and, and might not be specifically targeting me, but just wanting my reaction. So I would say that genuineness and I, and gosh, every financial advisor I've met has a unique ability to build, to build that unique rapport and that, and brings that genuineness of wanting to get to know your, your customer. So I, I think that that is the number two thing that you have to have is, is know your customer and know, know what's important to them. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll, I'll challenge you a little bit there um, on the notion of genuineness, because I did hear you use the word earlier specifically, and you mentioned sort of prey upon the military. I mean, I think our industry is like uh, many other industries where you've got folks that operate at a very, very high standard, where they lead with kind of advice and planning and, and guidance and products or, or solutions can follow. And then you have others that are pushing product, frankly. And it's right. this product that's a heck of a lot better for the advisor than it is for the investors. So I think it's important that uh, the, you know, the, the military and or any other sort of constituency protects its own, try to make sure that they're dealing with quality advice, quality advisors, and puts up guardrails so that folks that, again, to use that word, maybe prey on folks, um, well, seniors, right? Seniors are a group that are most often right. preyed upon and just a lot. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah, they receive bad advice. They may not be up on all the solutions. Uh, and a lot of times they could do things that, that really impair their ability to have financial independence because of expense structures and lack of liquidity and all that other stuff. So it sounds like there are some good resources that the military provides. Uh, and, and, and frankly, organizations like yours that are focused upon helping veterans and active service just to make good, well-informed decisions. Yes, I, I, I would say there are. The, the hard part is getting is being recognized as a trusted advisor um, to the segment and being able even, and we even have a challenge doing that, finding, you know, the 22 million that we talked about earlier um, and ensuring that they recognize even AFMA with 142 years of, of history behind us only serving the military 
you know, we still have to make sure people truly understand our, our value proposition. No, it makes good sense. So that's all uh, extremely helpful. What other advice would you have for folks who are serving military families today? I know you talked about sort of the importance of understanding the benefits and the structure and the amount of time they served and how meaningful some of those follow-on benefits might be, or frankly, maybe not super meaningful if it was just a shorter stint or one tour. What else is it important, do you think, for financial advisors to take away from our conversation who are serving this constituency today, or again, perhaps maybe interested in serving? Yeah, and I, I hope this is not, um, I hope this isn't the obvious answer. I hope this is a, a helpful answer to your audience. Uh, and the reason I start with that is because it seems kind of simple, but it is so important. If if my son, my son might not be a good example. If the military member that's getting out after 10 years of service has no defined pension, but the family has just decided it's time for them to separate, that person's, you know, 30, 32, 34 years old, um, you know, is trying to figure out their way through the financial realm, might be landing a pretty nice paying job and needs good advice. And, and we need to understand who that person is as they enter the workforce, the, the civilian workforce. And so that would be helpful. The next person is the person that's, you know, 40 years old and has just retired from military service. That person's probably looking for their next career and is probably going to really start generating wealth here in the next 20 or 30 years. And understanding that person, where that person's starting from and, and where they want to continue to. And then the third, the third group is, is maybe even a little bit older than that and has gone through all of that. They're 60, 65, maybe not unlike your, uh, you know, their civilian counterparts are kind of nearing the end of their working career and really want to, um, really want to be, be secure in their retirement. One of, the, one of the most interesting things to me is that many organizations, many financial service firms have a hard time accounting for the defined benefit pension and putting that into the strata of, of income sources for the retiree, believe it or not, um, and, and ensuring that they're providing good holistic information for that retiree, acknowledging that they have a, a inflation protected pension and they have this other, uh, you know, potentially other investment uh, vehicles to produce income. So I think three different stages and, and therefore the, the short answer to your question is really understand what place they are in their life right now and how you build their, their financial independence from where you met them at to their, to their next stage. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, you know, one thing I learned really, just frankly, in the last couple of years is the longer, at least this is my impression, by the way, and feel free to, to refute it. Um, the longer people serve and the higher levels that they serve at in the military, a lot of times they create phenomenal high-end networks from a business standpoint. And many of them leave to take on very, very significant roles or leverage those contacts to start their own companies. And I think there's a fair amount of entrepreneurship that takes place from people who've been leaders in the military, tenured or seasoned leaders that become kind of, you know, high-end leaders of privately held businesses, start their own companies, run big companies. Um, and, I, and I'm sure that's always existed, assuming that it's correct, by the way, but I never really quite saw it or understood it until more recent years where that I've just seemed to come across that more and more routinely. 
yes, I would I would agree that that exists out there. And if you can if you can crack into that network, and that's is sometimes it's a uh, it's not an open network per se, but it is a broad network. And once you're in that network, it's it's way easier to you know really uh, really market your services and be viewed as a trusted as a trusted partner um, by that community because you know you're being referred by by somebody within the community. So that is true. There are senior level people. Um, I know a retired command sergeant major that has done a, a, a tremendous job after his long-term career um, parlaying that into a civilian career that actually helps military and veterans. And it's doing wonderful things, not only for his own his own growth and, and professionally and financially, I'm sure, but also it's helping give back and, and help veterans uh, get, you know, get to their next stage. And when I see that, it's a reminder to me of the tremendous training and, and experience that the military does offer each one of us. We all, and, you know, you've created, you've created a business where you, you've accumulated a series of experiences that allowed you to, to build a Stratus Wealth Network. Um, this Sergeant Major, you know, it has these experiences where he is very ingrained and in tune with the military lifestyle and he can speak that and he, you know, he can attract those folks and, and can really connect with them. And it goes back to my previous point about for your advisors that want to connect with this group, it's, it would be valuable for you to just kind of get used to that, um, that environment and their, and, and truly understand their culture to really be able to penetrate that and identify those best leaders. Yeah. And I, I recognize there's, it's clearly some really distinct differences between, you know, uh, corporate life and military life. But I also think that there are probably a fair amount of similarities, at least as it relates to leadership, right? Successful leaders, you know, laying out a plan and execution and discipline and, you know, mission and all that stuff. And I think that there's probably, if, if you really analyze people who are great leaders in business and, and great leaders in the military, I suspect there are quite a few traits that would be similar that have led to, I mean, success is success, right? It's sort of a different field, but uh, I think that you find a lot of similarities from people who excel and succeed in leadership, you know, regardless of where that leadership takes place, whether it's on, you know, the, in the field of athletics, if it's in the military or if it's in corporate America. So, yeah, yeah, we can, we, we, and we can see that over and over again. I think some of your general um, descriptions in the previous question points to that, you know, what did, what did general Colin Powell go on to do, for instance, you know, um, uh, and, and we can, and we can name dozens, if not hundreds of military leaders that have taken their leadership and made it, um, something that's valuable, uh, and prominent in the, in the public space. Um, I would also contend for those military members that are leaving, uh, even, you know, when I first transitioned out of active duty as a, as a young staff sergeant, you know, looking to just go get my college degree and start a job, I didn't really realize all that the Army had given to me in experiences and education. And, um, and what I think the youngest staff sergeant leaving the military today needs to recognize is that they have something to contribute to our community, and the military has equipped them to, to uh, get back into their community and ensure that they support that community and get involved and go be the best that they can be in their in their community in their civilian life. 
Uh, and then we see that those unique traits like you described, and we began our conversation talking about it, is service members that land that first job coming out of the military soon are promoted to higher and higher levels in the company because of leadership traits they may not have really been able to explain very well on their resume or in their interview, but within a matter of a couple of years, they've surpassed their, their peers like, like we described earlier. Yeah, that makes good sense. Well, I appreciate you sharing with us and, and educating us a little bit about AFMA and the things that you guys are doing in the marketplace and talking a little bit about some of the benefits associated with service from a financial planning standpoint, as well as some of the needs that are required for this very, very significant. I would not have realized it was 23 million. I understand. I think you said two and a half million at any time active. And then, you know, a good 20 million uh, that would either be retired or, um, you know, form, you know, formerly affiliated uh, reservists. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so that's, it's quite a marketplace. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think we most appreciate you sharing your musical talents next. I understand there might be <laughs> there might be something lined up from Jimmy Buffett. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna give it a shot. I'm not sure. By the time I'm done with it, I'm not sure you're gonna say that you most appreciate that. I I think that it might be uh, a little less appreciated. Hopefully, hopefully the first part of this was uh, val really valuable for your team, because I'm not sure how valuable this will be. So. Well, uh, thank you yeah. again for your service, for sharing the ideas, and uh, for being a good sport about podcast karaoke. All right. We're going to give it a shot. You know, uh, just just so you know, I've never sung this song in public. You're the first. This is my debut, uh, my debut singing effort. We'll be cheering for you, Jerry. <laughs> I bet. I bet. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Here we go. Ready? Got it. Been my carnivorous habit Made it nearly 70 days Losing weight without speeding Sunflower seeds Drinking lots of carrot juice And soaking up rays But at night I'd have these wonderful dreams Some kind of sensuous treat Not zucchini, fettuccine, or bulgur wheat But a big warm bun and a huge hunk of meat Cheeseburger in paradise, onion slice, not too particular, not too precise. I'm a cheeseburger in paradise. Heard about the old time sailor men, they'd eat the same thing again and again. Warm beer and bread, they said the correct. At the Holiday Inn, times have changed for six days. When I'm in port, I get what I need. Not just bananas or bananas or daiquiris, but that American creation on which I feed. Cheeseburger in paradise, medium rare with mustard be nice. Heaven on earth with an onion slice. I'm just a cheeseburger in paradise. I like mine with lettuce and tomato, Heinz 57 and French fried potato. 
big kosher pickle and a cold draft beer. Well, good God almighty, which way do I steer for my cheeseburger in paradise? Making the best of every virtue and vice. Worth every damn bit of sacrifice. Cheeseburger in paradise. Cheeseburger in paradise. Well, there you have it, gentlemen. Now you know why I have to work each day, because I can't sing. You started getting comfortable there, getting into it. That second half kicked into gear. It sounded (laughs) Well, all right. Well, I sure appreciate you taking the time, Jeff. It's nice to meet Stratus Wealth Network, you and and your team there, and the work that you're doing to help Americans succeed financially. I love anyone that's doing it, especially if they want to address our military and veterans and help them on their way. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can.